Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop to the King's Herald Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going today? Will, it's going great. Uh, The Kings moved up in the lottery, and this franchise does not give us, you know, a lot of opportunities to celebrate and be optimistic, but last night was one of those nights. I'm still feeling good today, so uh, excited to break down some of that news today. Absolutely. All right. The other one here is a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst, general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, the true pride of French like himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, as always, it is an absolute pleasure to have you. Well, it's great to be with you guys and uh, got a lot to talk about. It's always great to see the Kings move up and uh, certainly more, maybe equally important to see the Pacers and the Portland Trailblazers <laughs> who who basically were disgusting quitters at the end of the year move down and, and a little reminder that it is a lottery <laughs> as, as we're, it's proven every year. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get to those disgusting quitters in a little bit, but we're going to first talk about a uh, about the winners here. The Sacramento Kings got some good news on Monday. Uh, they jumped in the draft lotto from uh, seventh into the top four. Uh, of course, they narrowly avoided those presumptive transformative stars and instead get to choose from uh, the best of the rest of the field. So the Kings now find themselves in the, uh, the in, my, in my opinion, the most interesting spot in the entire draft. And I find myself getting to celebrate, getting to keep my hair by just just the, the hair on my chin, you know, just by a, just by a slight hair here. So Tony and Jerry, Initial thoughts about the Kings jumping to the fourth pick today? Well, I mean, my, my thought is, it's, it's as you just pointed out, I think it's obviously a great spot to be in. It's not as good as being number one, but the fourth pick does have quite a bit of value because if there's teams that really want one of those so-called presumptive one through three guys, there's a good chance one of those guys is going to be there, first of all. I mean, that's just the reality of the way the drafts work, that uh, they may not be as presumptive as, as basketball operations people think uh uh so and and i mean on the other side of it uh it, it's valuable because of the guys that the kings were, were hoping to get or kings fans they're certainly all there for the most part so uh you know if you and of course having a fourth pick also means from a a, a potential trade possibility you have something of a lot more value to trade so no no negatives and moving up and getting the better pick yeah, I mean, obviously, moving up is a is a huge win for the Kings. Uh, it's a win that Monty McNair probably needed to to form this playoff roster. And I think what's special about this spot in this draft is four is is right where the draft gets interesting. And going from eight or seven or or nine where they could have picked to four is at least one tier of player above. You look at the consensus top four. It's been you know uh, Bancaro Smith. Ivy and Holmgren for a while now. That is still what kind of the mock draft experts are predicting. So the Kings are in that unique, like fourth spot in that top four of guys with a very important decision to make. So it's going to be, I guess, a, a stressful draft for the, for Kings and Kings fans more than it would have been if they had stayed at eight, but you will definitely make that trade for more stress for a, a better prospect. Absolutely. I, I guess I, I want to ask it this way here. Um, assuming that the top three, this stay the top three. Which, which in this league is almost never the case. There's always somebody that, that reaches or always somebody that climbs up here in the next couple of months. What is your favorite position on what the Kings should do with this pick? Obviously, they can stay. They can trade up or down. They can trade out completely for a veteran, trying to, trying to make the playoffs, obviously. Where do you guys see the Kings, assuming that Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, and Paolo Bancaro all go as assumed? What is your guys' stance on what the Kings should be looking at to do here with this with this pick at number four well in my opinion i mean what they've got to do first I mean, as much as anything is make sure they're focused on guys you know that are going to be there in the draft and decide how good those guys are at least as well as you can i mean you can't know you can't know what you don't know but but still get some idea and and then of course take all calls uh make a lot of calls uh just to get some idea of if there's players out there that would help you more than those picks would the guy you could pick would uh 
and and just is a better fit those kind of things so so yeah there's a lot of work to do here but i mean you're working from a little bit of a position of strength because uh uh you know i i think at the end of it i think the probably the brain trust will, will probably have a couple guys are very intrigued by that doesn't mean you know that they feel like they have to take them but uh it's also true is that as they get into this thing they might say well well, we can trade this pick for so-and-so, but maybe this guy is as good. Why trade it? Why not just take the best guy we can get there? Because we have several needs. And, and as we know, uh, Kings have several needs. Absolutely. Tony, what do you think about this? Yeah, the Kings have um, a lot of like good options now picking fourth. So I guess the the easiest way to answer this is what I want them to to not do. And that is don't trade the pick before you know who is going to be there at four, because like you opened the question with Will, there is a, a, you know, a consensus top three. I don't know how often the consensus top three in May is the consensus is what that draft order shakes out at on draft night. It's, it doesn't happen very often. There usually is one or two guys who jump up one or two guys who fall down. So if I'm the Kings, the first thing is, you know, don't make any moves until you know, who's there at four obviously prepare yourself for all the different scenarios that you, that you, you know, find yourself in, but I would still hold out hope that one of those top three fall and I'm not making a move with that pick until I know for sure that they're not going to be there. Yeah. And I, I say this, if I were the Kings, I would try to get the agents with those top three mm-hmm. and say, look, there's, you know, from cause I think those agents will start to find out that there's no guarantees. I don't think they'll get a promise uh, maybe one guy would or something like that. So uh, say, look, uh, we need to get your guy in here. We know we don't think he'll be there and you don't think he'll be there, but you don't want him to slide further uh, type thing. And and so I, I think that having the fourth pick puts you in that, in that category where, uh, you know, if there's any kind of concern uh, about one or two of the guys slipping a little bit and, you know, my opinion is I, I think that could likely happen. I really do. I, I mean, I, I probably think Jabari Smith is the least likely to slip out of the top three. Uh, that's just my opinion. But I think the other two, somebody might, uh, you know, somebody might. Yeah, I was going to ask that. And I'm curious what you guys think. Who do you think uh, is the most likely of those top three guys to end up sliding? Tony, Jerry already answered it. So I'll give you just a chance now. Who do you think is the most likely guy to end up you know, slipping to four if 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 the case be i don't think this guy should slide to four i don't think he will slide to four but i do think it's interesting that from from my view like reading the what's going on in draft twitter which is a, a very interesting place um there is some like weird buzz about jabari smith jr dropping out of that top three which is again surprising to me he would be the he would be my number one overall pick if i was the kings if the kings jump to one i'm taking him first overall and and not really stressing too much about it but there is some speculation out there. People are like digging into the advanced stats, which they do this time of year, um, where there there is some like, I guess I would say some very, very quiet buzz that it might be Jabari Smith Jr. So maybe that's just wishful thinking on my part, hoping he drops to four. But uh, honestly, it's it's so tight between those three. It's hard to predict which, which one would fall because we don't even know which one's going one. So there really isn't a, a lot of separation there. Well, I think it's kind of interesting too with Orlando you know, with the first pick is that uh, people say, well, you know, they, they take Chet Holmgren. Okay. You can do that. I'm not, uh, that's fine. Uh, but they've, they've got a lottery pick that plays center for them now. And they've got a high lottery pick that plays power forward for them now. And they've got a lottery pick to play small and two lottery picks to play point guard. So Jaden Ivey, you know, we're uh, having said all that. I mean, you know, with actually got three, uh, lottery picks uh, play point guard uh, Fultz and and uh, oh, <laughs> forgot him and just, <laughs> yeah so uh, you know it's you know it all that being said they they've got all that and it's also true they had the worst record in the league so <laughs> so you shouldn't be uh, scared to try to replace any of those starters uh, in my opinion but but I mean it is a case where you know it, it, I think they have to be pretty concerned with whatever pick whoever, if they take one of those three guys, that he's able to step in there, step in there and play. You know, it would be at this stage, uh, man, they can't just draft another, uh, have another high lottery pick that might play some. (laughs) 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 They need to create a spot for him, whether it's moving uh, 
a Wills guy. Uh, there you go, Jerry. Uh, you That's know, what I was going to get to. And, and moving Wendell Carter to center, which probably makes the most sense, actually, uh, if they, to take Jabari or something like that, or Banchero, either one, or or just uh, move move uh, keep Wendell Carter at four and, and move Will's guy again and, and keep <laughs> and keep uh, Chet Holmgren. So uh, you know, there's but the, it does create a situation where somebody that they had a lot of high hopes in uh, probably needs to get uh, de-hoped. <laughs> That's funny because uh, Orlando is the case for me that like they could get really crazy really quickly only because they have been bad for so long that they do have you know, Markel Fultz and Jalen Suggs at, at, at the point guard. And you've got, you know, you've got small forwards like Franz Wagner who had a fantastic rookie year. And you do have big guys that, you know, that all these guys kind of going up and down the row. You got Jonathan Isaac waiting out there to, to start playing if he can ever get healthy. Yeah. But Jerry, if I can, if I can uh, manufacture one thing on Twitter, we're going to get, we're going to get Mo Bamba out of there. We're going to make sure yeah. that Chet Holmgren ends up there in Orlando. So you and I can, uh, can cheer for Mo Bamba here in Sacramento. Well, well, he's intriguing. And you know, if I'm Monte, honestly, I mean, uh, Orlando is one of those teams I want to get to know, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh you know, uh, I, I mean, cause I think they've got some intriguing guys that might be uh, available for trade. I mean, uh, I, I, for one, I'm very disappointed in Jalen Suggs, but I sure liked him in college. And I think at some point you need to trust your opinion. So what I'm trying to say is sometimes there may be a deal, you know, if they wanted to take Ivy, there may be a deal where you could get a, you know, have a, have a good shot at a really young player that just didn't have a very good year or, uh, or Isaac. I I love that guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, He hadn't shown he can stay on the floor, but if you could get, here again, I'd have to think, uh, you know, if they take a, another frontline player, his value becomes even less with everything that, that's going on. And maybe there could be the right deal there. But of course, you'd have to have your doctors sign off on it. And that may not be the case. But anyway, I just think that's that's part of what you need to do is mm-hmm. is uh, trying to, you know, think out of the box a little bit, just, just uh, what this draft does to another team or you know, or maybe even looking into what it would take to move into that spot. I, I don't think uh, th- that's less likely. It's always easier to move back than it is to move up. Sure. This is one of those unique drafts where I feel like every single player has a case for the number one pick of those top three, and every single one of them has a case for dropping out. Chet, Holt, Chet is one of those guys that he's a freak defensive prospect, but he's also freakishly thin, and he could – he could end up having a couple of bad workouts or bad shooting things or ends up not being able to bench press a cat. And it's like, well, he's going to drop a couple, you know, Jabari Smith is one of those guys like, like Tony had said that he might be the guy if, if his shooting doesn't really show out in some of these, uh, in some of these tryouts, he might be the guy that drops. Bancaro is kind of a traditional power forward, like a Blake Griffin 2.0, where if Houston decides oh, we'd like to pair a guy like Ivy with a guy like Jalen Green and have the, one of the fastest backcourts in the league, Okay, then we let Bancaro drop. So the Kings are in one of those spots that uh, that they're going to be the they're going to be the decider on how much chaos happens the rest of the the rest of the night there on on draft night. I'm I'm, I'm curious now, what do you guys have a lead in the clubhouse? Assuming that that the top three stay the top three. Obviously, we've had rumors of Ivy, who's the six four shooting guard from Purdue, Keegan Murray, who's a a six eight power forward from uh, shoot, I got that mixed up. And uh, whoever he's from, and then uh, and then Shaden Sharp, who's the six six shooting guard who went to Kentucky but didn't hasn't played since high school. Do you guys have any favorites leaders in the clubhouse at this point, this early in the in the draft process? Well, I do, I, and I'm probably far less uh, intelligent on this than majority of the Kings Herald uh, uh, writers and commenters. I really, I mean, because I, I read all this stuff and I know guys study it more than I do anymore. I don't get paid to study it, so I'm not going to. Uh, but I, I, I enjoy it. But I, I like Keegan Murray. I think he'd be a very safe pick. Uh, is he the best pick? I honestly think Jaden Ivey might be the most NBA ready of all of them in this draft. I think with the way the game's played, if you can plug him into a place, you know, where he's got a position and got minutes on the court, I, my guess is he'd probably jump right in there and be pretty good. Uh, but, uh, but I think for the Kings, uh, you know, he, Keegan just seems to me uh, probably doesn't have star quality, but has looks like he could be a 10, 12 year starting player in the league and be, you know, kind of a little bigger, different version of Harrison Barnes, which ain't a bad thing. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, so so I so I like him. I mean, the sharp thing worries me. I, I've watched, tried to watch a few little bits and pieces of what you could get, but it's such a risk reward thing. You know, he's obviously got a, a gifted athlete, but geez, he played what twelve games in high school because he graduated early and then went to Kentucky and didn't play, and so uh, it would depend. I mean, to me, it would totally that would totally depend on what what you could get him in and get him work him out and spend time with him. I mean, that would be huge. And if his agent and him wouldn't be willing to do that, then that's telling you a lot. Uh, I mean, cause they, they, they have to know he's got a lot to prove uh, right on down the line. So, so he, he's a mystery guy. There's no doubt. Uh, you know, other guys, I mean, I, I think it's a nice draft, a nice, I, I, I felt like at nine Kings wouldn't be worried about getting a good player. Uh, but I like to say I don't know. I like Keegan Murray. I I, I know he hadn't. He doesn't play like a, a great player. Ever, Kevin Durant every game. But then Kevin Durant don't play like Kevin Durant every game either. Sure. Uh, but he was pretty damn good. Tony, what do you think about this? Uh, Jerry obviously is kind of keen on Keegan Murray. So so do you have a leader in the clubhouse at this point? Yeah, this feels like a year where we're going to spend the next month on this podcast, months on Twitter, in our Slack, debating Ivy versus Keegan Murray, and then the Kings go do something completely different. That happens with Alliburton, it happened with Davion Mitchell, because um, it does seem almost too obvious right now that it's between Ivy and Keegan, uh, just because Sharp, for as intriguing as he is, and I was kind of... Uh, I don't know. I was kind of getting annoyed by the sharp fans uh, recently. How do you know this guy's going to be good? You haven't seen anything. It's high school tape. It's awful footage. And then I started watching and buying in. So I'm like right on the line of being a sharp guy myself now. So it's, uh, but for the Kings, it's, it's uh, such a gamble for Monty. We know how much pressure there is there. They need to win. Now. Is he going to take that shot with sharp? It seems unlikely to me at this stage. Um, so I do think the, the Ivy versus Murray conversation is when we're going to keep having and if I had to pick one between those two, I, I would take Ivy, even though I understand all the arguments for Keegan. Um, I love Keegan too. He's a better fit for sure. But with Ivy, I just think you're, I don't know, you're, you're searching for stars. And I think he has a little bit more star potential. And I know like the Sabonis timeline makes this, it's a difficult call for Monty because it is a argument. Uh, do I try and win now with a NBA ready player who has a very low bust potential. I think Keegan Murray is going to be very good. And there's a, you know, it's highly unlikely that he's not a, a very solid NBA player where even Ivy, there's a little bit more bust potential. I don't think he's going to bust either, but there is a, uh, you know, a less clear, there's things about his game as a, you know, a shoot first uh, ball dominant guard who has a questionable jump shot. Um, and especially with the pairing with the Aaron Fox, where having another guard with questionable shooting ability in the backcourt with Fox, you can argue that the, the pairing is not great. So uh, it's a debate that I know we're going to have, and I'm probably going to flip-flop myself on it um, because I like Egan Murray so much, but I'd still just take Ivy for the for the star potential at the end of the day. Jerry, if you're Money McNair, do you have any uh... – do you do you waver on your on your potential strategy because uh, since you've come into uh, into your position with the Kings and you had Buddy Hield and De'Aaron Fox as your presumptive backcourt of the future and you've only been able to draft basically point guard since then do you do you waver at all in thinking uh, do I really want to draft another you know guard in in in, in Ivy? Uh, I tell you what I, I think with Monty I I, I think uh, he's a very uh, thoughtful guy very bright guy and I think his he, he'll go into it and change his mind about a half dozen times, just like the rest of us, you know, I mean, it, it, it just isn't a, an exact science. And so uh, he, you know, he may come to conclusion. It's like, I can't pass Jaden Ivey. He's just the best player that's going to be on the board, let's say. And, and I understand that, that if it's like uh, Tony said, if you feel like he's got the best star potential, uh, then you kind of worry about other stuff since you don't really have a lot of stars. Uh, uh, and so I, I get that. And I think he probably does in my mind, I think he's got a little more star potential than Murray, but I, and I guess why I'd go the other way a little bit is I, I'm not sure it's much more, you know, I mean, I, to me, he's, he's got a better motor and better defender than Fox at the same age, but he's probably a, a worse perimeter shooter and, and really not a good playmaker. <laughs> at this stage so uh so there'd be it's not like you're you know it's not like watching John Moran in college put it that way 
you know. <laughs> now, what about uh, what about trade acquisitions? You know, there's there's been talk about uh, you know, well, if it drops lower than seven, maybe Bonnie just tries to trade for a vet. How much uh, how much do your spider senses tingle in terms of the Kings being at four now and what they might be able to pair or get for the number four pick and and whatever the Kings might might be willing to part with? Do you guys? Do you guys have any uh, favorite trades that might be able to come down the pipe with using the number four pick? What even is the value of a number four pick in this particular draft? Well, I think it does have a lot of value. I think when you look at teams that have more players, probably that they can pay and, and or play. And I mean, so you, you have to start looking at that a little bit. Uh, now, what can you can you get for that and what, what might teams do? Now, I, automatically, you think about Atlanta. I mean, yeah, I think you could probably move that pick for John Collins. Uh, uh, I wouldn't. Uh, I mean, I, I, I just, uh, I, I don't know. I, 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 I kind of know that, uh, that Atlanta thinks that Hunter's better than he is right now. <laughs> and so, and, and, and he's making a lot of money and I think he's really, really good, but I just, I just wouldn't do that uh, at this stage. But I mean, there's a, not saying it'd be the, it might be the best thing to do. Uh, but, but I mean, there'll be guys like that to where on some teams that really have more, more guys, uh, you know, that they, you know, they're going to have to do something, sure. you know, I mean, I think uh, Atlanta again, uh, Kevin Herter's a guy that uh, now I would trade the fourth pick for him, but, uh, but he's an awfully good player. <laughs> and, and I mean, if so, I mean, if you could, Somehow, you know, it's one of those guys you know, you'd have to consider because he fills the need and he's good, a good solid guy under a contract that would could fit. And, and so, if you could get a pick back uh, that you liked reasonably, thought you could get somebody else that way, you might have to think about it. But but so it's those kind of, of thoughts, I guess. And uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, it, it it's just one of those things that I, I think at the end of it, I really be surprised if the Kings can find something of value with that pick that's more valuable than the pick. I, I just, I, I thought at seven or eight, they could do that. Uh, I guess I'm probably more inclined uh, to, to think in terms of they're going to be in position to get an awfully good player with a lot of promise. And, and I think, uh, and I realize that, you know, may not help you win as much right now, but uh be hard to be hard to be hard for me to trade that for anybody other than somebody I know is really good. You know, if you could trade a pick for Zach Levine and something like that, or Zach Levine, okay, yeah, I'd do that because well, Zach's way better <laughs> right now than. But but uh, that that's probably not going to happen. You know, I mean, so so anyway, that's my thoughts. It's just uh, I like the I like the fourth pick. I do. I think there there's no downsides to having it. And, uh, you know, people talk about, well, you put the pick, uh, trade the pick for Jeremy Grant. I wouldn't do that. Uh, he's wanting a lot of money. He, it's not like he's proven to be a real winner and difference maker. Uh, you know, he was a former late first round pick for a reason. He got better. Uh, so, so, I mean, at some point you need to have faith in, in, in what you see, that uh, you can get somebody that could be as good as Jeremy Grant within a short time frame, per, you know, sure. so... Tony, do you have any uh, any pet trades that you're that you're already considering uh, sending over to Monty? I'm really not because it's. T I mean, Jerry hit it. It was much easier to trade this pick when it was seven or eight, and then you could tell yourself, you know, hey, maybe John Collins makes some sense there. But with Keegan Murray sitting there at four, if you're going to trade for John Collins, I'd just draft Keegan Murray and and get a you know a cost controlled rookie that you can have for longer, who is also going to be in my opinion, of that level of Collins where he's not quite an all-star, but he's on the fringes and he's a very good player. So that trade doesn't really make sense to me anymore. Um, Jeremy Grant doesn't make sense anymore. Julius Randle doesn't make sense anymore. Maybe he never did anyways, but those were the names that we were talking about the Kings making a move for at the at last year's deadline. And I, I would say, you know, across the board, none of them really make sense if you're offering up the fourth pick, even a name like, like Brandon Ingram, who, you know, I, I think I would trade the fourth pick for Brandon Ingram, but the Pelicans just went on a run and now he's probably not available like he maybe no. was once before. No. So the trade market is, is different now than it was in the season. We don't really know necessarily who's available again yet. And, and the fourth pick, like the price should be extremely high to the point where if you're not getting 
like the list of players you would trade that for is very small. It's all-stars. You're trading an all-star for that fourth pick, or you're probably not trading it at all. And the, the list of, you know, potential trade partners that make sense is just very small. Yeah. You know, for, for, for me, I mean, if you could trade the fourth pick for Scotty Barnes or Evan Mobley, I'd do that. Uh, Cause you know, sure. you know, yeah. you're getting a sure thing. Uh, it, it doesn't mean that the guy that, that the fourth pick won't be better you know that's very possible but i mean there's no risk and so you're cutting your risk uh i mean i think too the kind of thing you'd, you'd want to explore is is could you know would toronto consider siakam for that pick my guess is yeah my guess is they would that's an interesting because one. i think they're yeah. they're really competing for higher things yeah. and, and you don't get better by losing siakam <laughs> i mean yeah you know maybe probably uh ogo Oh, Ananobi, uh, they might come back with that. Well, that, he's a heck of a player. I don't know that here again. I'd say you, you, you wouldn't be insulted by if they threw that at you, to put it that way. I have one trade that is like, it's really bad, but it's something that I, it's interesting. What do, how do you guys feel about Zion at this stage? Is that like just a, a not going to touch him for you guys? Or is that someone where you still think like there might be a, an all-star here? Oh, I'd feel him up in a minute. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I, it, I would say this, if they were, if they were considering doing that, uh, I mean, there again, I'd sure want to get my doctors to, to yeah. evaluate it because there is nobody in this draft as talented as Zion Williamson. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's going to, that can change games and change teams. Uh, now, you know, but you got to play <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and, and would they do that? They might. You know, you just don't know what they're thinking. I mean, but the, the, that would be the scary part because to me, if they would consider trading Zion for the fourth pick, then that's telling that's telling you they know something. They know something you should know. And so I, I, that that scared the crap out of me. You know, just to be honest with you. Yeah, it's one of those scary trades that I don't know. You could ask me that, you know, every day, and I'd have a different answer every day for you, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I- I think it was me, Tony. I don't know if it was in if it was in the group chat or if it was in a, a chain mail or maybe it was on this podcast where I mentioned like before Tyrese Halberton got traded that like I would probably swap Fox for like Fox in this pick for for Zion. And so like I would still I would still do it, but the risk the risk there is very very high. And, and Jerry put it perfectly that like if they're willing to do it, then there's something wrong there. And I'm and I'm you know it's a the whole quote about I don't want to be a part of any club that'll have. <laughs> I don't want to be a part of any trade that they'll willingly give me Zion, you know. Yeah, you always have to, you know, kind of try to interject what their what their situation is. Sure. You know, I mean, it's like somebody's talking about Kawhi Leonard. If could you would you trade four for Kawhi Leonard? Well, sure, if you thought he was healthy, why wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, he's got eight, ten years left if he can can get healthy and stay healthy. That's big ifs. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but we we do know he can lead teams to championships. We've seen him do it twice now now would they do that and and here again they might and if they might then that should scare the crap out of you because there again they're they, yeah. they're pretty convinced that we're going to pay him a lot of money and the and we can't count on him being available and that's uh, my, my my trade my my version of the zion trade is is the one that's been kind of floating around in kingsland for a while and that's bradley beal mm-hmm. i think the, the wizards are at that spot where they could be they could just be done with the Bradley Beal thing that they've been hanging on to him for too long and they should have gotten better value for him or they should have traded him at one point or another or when John Wall left, then then they should have gotten rid of him too. And it's one of those things where he's still he's still not that old. You know, he's he's not nearly 30 yet. Like and he's got he's got a lot of good basketball left in him. And where if if the Wizards would consider, you know, I don't know what it would take plus the four, you know, the and maybe it's next year's pick plus this pick or whatever, but like Bradley Beal is somebody that I would go for too to pair with De'Aaron Fox. And, and, and Sabonis. Do you guys have any interest in, in a shooting guard like that? Well, sure, you'd have to have. But, I, I mean, I think if I'm Washington, uh, you know, number four doesn't get it. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like uh, that's where he was picked years ago. <laughs> and, oh, right. and and so, uh, I mean, I, I kind of think they might be, would move him because they've got some real concerns about it paying him a lot of money going forward and at what point does the skills erode a little bit, you know, all that sort of thing. But I, I, I really think, I think what you'd come up with, and this is just a guess like anybody, but they'd ask you for Fox 
and four. Okay. Yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> and, and and I wouldn't do that. Sure. We're not ready for De- the Davion Mitchell experience quite yet. We need a couple more years of Fox before we can get that far along. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, it's, it, it, to me, Fox isn't Bradley Beal, but he's, you know, and you hope that the new coach can have some inroads there and all that. Uh, certainly, he's a nobody would ever say he's a bad kid by any stretch. So young man, so. Uh, I just think that's too much. I mean, to me, Fox and the four, whether it's Keegan Murray or, or Jade Nivey, sounds better to me than Bradley Beal. Sure. <laughs> uh, well, Jerry, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I wanted to touch on this too. Um, it was the clash of the tanks uh, during this lotto. Uh, the half-assed kind of opportunity tanks got, got pretty well bodied. And uh, the, the committed ones, they got mostly rewarded. The three worst teams in terms of record got the top three picks. Uh, Houston obviously dropped two uh, to the third. Uh, Oklahoma City got the second, and Orlando got the first. But as you mentioned, the Pacers and the Blazers, who spent the second half of the season clawing their way to the bottom, losing 10-plus games straight to finish out the season, uh, they wound up with some consolation prizes, each of them uh, falling to uh, to the sixth and seventh spot respectfully, or respectively. Um, was there any thoughts? you guys have any thoughts on how this lotto played out for any of the other teams that uh, – that were uh, doomed in the lottery? Well, I do think this, and I, I mean, I, some reasonable information, uh, I mean, it was always subject to change and question, but I think the Indiana Pacers were really hoping to say be fifth or sixth, I mean, fifth or whatever. And I think Keegan Murray's a the guy they really wanted. Really? And that's, yeah. It, it, oh yeah. And I think that, uh, cause you know, they, it, their guard line, it's, uh, you know, with, with Halliburton and, I mean, I, not saying that they wouldn't take Jaden Ivey if they got to four. I wouldn't say that either. But but I, I think that was the guy they they were kind of saying, boy, if we if we stay where we are, fifth or whatever it was, we you know this would be a good guy for us. Nice fit with what our team is right now, you know, because even if they can't move Malcolm Brogdon, they still got you know with Malcolm and Halliburton. That's an awfully good guard line, and uh, and T.J. Warren should come back finally who's, uh, who's really good when he does play, as we all know. And so it, it obviously makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and a Midwestern kid that they're, they're very aware of, Sure, you know, so, so, so there's that. So, so I think that, uh, that was a little jolt to him and, and good, <laughs> good. Tony, what about you? I'm with Jerry. I'm rooting against the Pacers at this point. <laughs> I know Jerry is an Indiana guy, but you know, the, I don't want the Kings to get, murdered by that trade they made so i'm going to root for the Pacers to have as hard a time as possible building a team around tyrese but they are an interesting team to talk about because we did just talk about trades and i know um some people have mentioned malcolm brogdon so i want to throw that to you guys would you take something like brogdon uh to move down from four to six is as like almost like a, a free starting two to move down two spots indiana gets their guy the kings get a starting shooting guard who can you know knock down shooter and maybe they get a good player at six anyways that definitely wouldn't be a bad trade. I mean, I, I really, I mean, I think Brogdon's still a very good player and uh, is more of a natural leader than is Fox. Sure. And I think that's, that's kind of the problem. One of the reasons that I think the Pacers need to move him is because they want to kind of turn it over to Halliburton. As long as Brogdon's there, he's a stronger, he's a stronger guy, you know, mentally and experience wise. And, uh, you know, and, and Halley's uh, can kind of, kind of go along to fit in to it, maybe more than he should. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, there again, if it's a case, and, and I think why you would do it is, is certainly to show your uh, backcourt up. The other reason would be if you all of a sudden at six, you said, well, we can probably get, get an, get the guy that we might want anyway, you know, kind of yeah. the Danny Ainge kind of yeah. thing. Well, we'll trade down from one to three because I can get the very same guy that I really want. And I think by working, going through the workouts, it may be, you know, that, uh, you know, Monty, all of a sudden somebody, you know, maybe a, a, a Griffin or something really, really looks better than they thought or, yeah. or Shaden Sharp, oh, they get him in and he works out and they, holy shit, we got to take this guy <laughs> and he, and he might be available. So there, so there's, I think that's something that, that'd be one of those to me, if you just have to, Think about that. I mean, I think there's there'll be five or six kind of scenarios like that that make a lot of sense to you know to to study. 
Yeah, Tony, I was I was thinking uh, before the podcast, I wasn't thinking about Brogdon, but that would be a great one. I was thinking about uh, Duarte. But Duarte is a little bit older as a rookie. That if they if they'd offer up Duarte, uh, you know, then the Kings get their their shooting guard who's a little bit older but ready to produce right now. You've got Fox and Duarte, and then you're still able to pick up. And Griffin was the guy I was thinking of, Jerry. And then you 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 still get you still get you know supreme talent. You still you still get the guy that you know, or at least in the same talent level as what you're looking for. Would you pick up a starter as well and and get that two for one there? I, I think that's I think that's a worthy cause. I don't know how much the Pacers are interested in that. I don't know how much uh, Keegan Murray makes a difference between, you know, are they willing to get rid of somebody like Duarte? I'm sure, you know, that they're more willing to get rid of Brogdon so they can turn the, turn the backcourt over to both young guys. But no, I think that's a, I think that's a worthy thought. That's one of those ones that I would, if it happened, I'd be like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And I'm fine with it. Yeah. I'd I'd be surprised. I mean, I'm pretty sure Brogdon's a guy, I mean, and and not due to skill, but a little bit uh, contract uh is there you know it's a little bit of case well we we you know if we're going to rebuild this thing let's go with younger guys on on uh less less money situations and and they've probably got the best out of Brogdon I think he may have two or three you know quality years left in him uh and so but you know no anyway it's interesting very interesting Tony so moving on here there was other news out of Sacramento we're going to get to a couple of uh of uh, hirings that the Kings have done lately um, um, earlier uh, prior to the, uh, the draft lotto. Uh, some news came out of Sacramento uh, from Fox 40, Sean Cunningham, who broke the news that um, Anjali Ranadive, daughter of Sacramento Kings owner uh, Vivek Ranadive is the new assistant general manager of the uh, G league Stockton Kings. After working the Kings uh, working with the Kings last year as their director of social responsibility. Uh, this isn't just a get-your-feet-wet position for Anjali. Uh, she's going to assist in all aspects of bo- basketball operations, including G League player evaluations and development, strategy, uh, among some other things. Uh, I'm reading this from Sean Cunningham, of course. She's been with the organization working in the social responsibility department, excited to bring her passion for basketball to a new role. Uh, she will be serving under Stockton's uh, GM, Paul Johnson, and she is with the Kings uh, this week in Chicago, for the NBA Draft Combine. Jerry, I'm going to start with you because you're our uh, front office expert here. Uh, what do you make of this? Well, one, one question I'd have right away, what does social responsibility do? Is there, is there a job for no response, no social responsibility too? Uh, I, I could do that one. But uh, so, so, yeah, well, it's, it's, uh, it's it's disconcerting to me. I mean, it's troubling, and, and I mean, I understand nepotism. Uh, that's in every in every field, and and usually it's you know fathers have sons or daughters that they want to bring into the business, and and you know uh, where they'll in general start them off pretty slow, and and you know they have knowledge and they work their way up. I always remember uh, Jeff Peter bringing in his son Mike into the uh, the organization, and Mike did you know really did all the video breakdowns and work and schlep video equipment, uh, you know, with the team all across the, you know, the world uh, for, for years. And uh, just great guy, worked hard, everybody respected him. There was no, you know, nobody resented it. I certainly got it. And he'd had some background in college before, you know, he'd had a little college background as well as some part-time scouting uh, before with the trailblazers. So, uh, you know, to me, that's, I under, you know, it's nepotism, but it's not quite the same. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I guess the, the, the thing that probably bothered me uh, a little or a lot, maybe, is that, uh, you know, that w- with her, I mean, certainly uh, to have a position like that, I mean, somebody that some young man or woman who, who was hoping to have a job in basketball that's worked hard in high school, college, or, or just video work or something, uh, that's a job they can't get. <laughs> so, you know, a basketball lifer, and I, I kind of feel, because I know how that is a little bit uh, over the years uh, as a younger man. Uh, so so that, that part. Uh, and I guess uh, two other things that bother me about it. One is uh, if Monty McNair is running the basketball operations, do you think he actually made that hire? Right. Okay. Guess. Uh, <laughs> and so, so that's a, 
that that comes to mind. And then, you know, the fact that she's even at the pre-draft camp, which, uh, I mean, in, and I don't know if Mr. Ron is there as well. I, I mean, I, all my experience through the years, I, I don't think it was ever had an owner at any of those kinds of things. Uh, now, I don't know. He may not be there, but uh, certainly she is. And, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, it's a little unsettling. I don't, what uh, negative impact can it have on the, the Kings? None, I would say. I mean, other than, you know, it's, it, it's starting to be some eyebrows raised around there. I mean, I, I think anybody thinks otherwise, pretty foolish. Yeah, absolutely. Tony, what about you from the fans perspective here? What do you think about this? Yeah. I mean, the nicest thing I can say is that it's like a, a, an extremely goofy move by the Kings and, and she's not going to be the first owner's daughter to work in organizations. I think there's like seven or eight, maybe more who have kids that work, but to Jerry's point, like the assistant GM to a G league team is a legitimate title. Like that's something that people work towards and earn. And she, this is her first job in the basketball operations side with the Kings, there's dozens of lower level roles that you can start someone out in before you give them a title like that. So that's sort of the the part where it really gets goofy and doesn't make any sense to me where, you know, if this was, because there is a legitimate argument for starting this process. And I've, I've seen this and I kind of agree with it to some extent that at some point, Vivek is not going to be around and he's not going to own the team forever. And if it stays in the family, there are going to be his children who run this thing. So the idea of preparing someone in his family to drive this ship when Vivek is not around anymore, or if he takes a lesser role, I'm down for that. Start that early. Great. But to go from a role that had nothing to do with anything, as far as I can tell to assistant GM for the G league team is, is such a leap where it's, it's almost like the Kings, I don't know, they're inviting all this criticism on themselves because they could have made this move without announcing anything and just kind of had her around, given her some other title that's not so public facing and no one would have bad an eye and it would have been fine. But they sort of invite themselves and open themselves up for criticism when they go from zero to assistant GM of the Stockton Kings. There are so many things you could have done in between that like gulf of positions and they didn't do any of them. So that's where it, where it gets goofy to me. They could have done this in a way that no one would have cared. It would have been an easy transition. You could have had her do many things until she was ready for this job, but they didn't do it that way. They did it the way they sort of do things, which is um, giving people jobs beyond what maybe their credentials suggest they should have. Yeah. You know, the, the other thoughts on that is that I, when, some, when I first heard about it, I thought, that, that she had been given a job with the Stockton Kings. Well, I was thinking, oh, well, yeah, she's got a background in entertainment and stuff. I didn't know quite what the, she did with the Kings. Uh, so maybe she's uh, in working in the marketing and entertainment area for the Stockton Kings because clearly they need something there. They're just not drawing anybody. So it would have made a lot of sense. Uh, you know, put her in an area that, yes, she has some expertise in, or at least you would think she does. Uh and, and maybe that would have been it. And then the other thing was, I thought, well, you know, then, and then they mentioned the position of that. Well, why wouldn't they just maybe just because of criticisms, you know, would come just uh, assign her as an intern, yeah. you know, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, get the same experience. Obviously, she doesn't need the money, mm -hmm. uh, but just learn the business that way as an unpaid intern or, or a minimum wage intern. And, and uh, certainly, I've seen young people do that uh, with the Kings uh, in a lot of positions to, to, to learn a business and, and work their way up. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know how they could handle it much worse, I guess. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's <laughs> right. They just, I don't know, do it a different way. You could have done it in a way that no one would have cared. And instead you did it in the most triggering and like controversial way possible. Yeah, I, I think uh, she, she got some comparisons on Twitter to, uh, to Jeannie Buss. Uh, when uh, when when Jerry owned the Lakers and and brought Jeannie Buss in, but Jeannie Buss had had years of experience. You know, she she was uh, she was a general manager for a, for a tennis league, and she ran a you know she was the general manager of the forum for for three or four years before she stepped into a role with the Lakers. And to me, I don't know what social responsibility is. It could be something that's very important. It could be absolutely made up. Uh, I I don't know, but to 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 instead install her into a position uh, in which the Kings already have very little in the way of scouting 
in the way of, of strategy, in the way of people outside of just the main decision makers. It, my, uh, it, it was one of those things that it wasn't just, a, to me, it wasn't just goofy. I know, Tony, it, was, it is laughable, but it is also one of those things that's like, oh my God, like, are we really, like, it, to me, I immediately went like, okay, who is she spying on? Or, okay, who is she, who is she reporting to dad about? You know, which one of these people is, is dad nervous about doing something and she's the one who steps in next? And uh, I know we have to wait and see, but coming off of the heels of just getting done with Joe Dumars, uh, it was one of those things like, okay, maybe we just talked about last episode. Maybe there's some normalcy. Maybe the Kings are operating like a normal basketball team. And, and to be fair, uh, Sean Cunningham did list other NBA owners with kids working in the league. Uh, Anthony Ressler in Atlanta, Mickey Arison in, uh, in Miami, Jeannie Buss in LA, Joe Lacob, Stan Kroenke in Denver, Michael Jordan in Charlotte, Tillman Fatita in Houston. So she isn't the only one. But I do have to question how many of those others had no experience prior to this and were installed in a position as high as what as what she was. So and now on the other hand of that, I will say that uh, Gavin Maloof was once the president of the Rockets and he was 24 years old. And 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 that's a little bit different. Uh, but but it is in terms of like, touching King's history. Uh, the Maloofs did do this uh, for a small amount of time. And so there is, there is precedent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah. I always remember that because Adele Harris was a good friend. Uh, told me he was a coach at that time when the, when the George or the old man, I think it's George Maloof was his name. I'm not sure was the owner. And he's just, and he put Gavin in charge of the team. And he said, he said, uh, he said, I could write five books about that. Nobody <laughs> oh, would believe it word <laughs> he said he said we it was it just took on this ridiculousness uh, beyond any <laughs> any any thoughts I bet. <laughs> and i think you know yeah gavin at 24 i, no, I, yeah. I just can't imagine that <laughs> I say, we saw gavin at i don't know how old he was when he owned the kings but he was wild then yeah so I don't know. oh yeah he was still 24 oh yeah you know right. no matter how yeah, old no. he was he was still 24 yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Peter, Peter Pan, you know. Just... <laughs> Zing vodka had been floating around for a long time before it ended up getting into a bottle. Yeah. So, Okay, well, we, we, we wanted to address that one only because that is King's News. So there is another piece of King's News that happened. Uh, do you guys have any initial thoughts on, on Jordy Fernandez and the job that he's going to have to do as associate head coach? I, I don't know him. You know, I knew he worked for Mike for a while, and, and I think that he – I don't think he was a top assistant there. I mean, that's why they let him – uh, come go I think David Adelman uh, was probably the top guy but uh, but certainly his background is good you know and you know Mike Brown know, knows him well and, and has a confidence in him so that's enough for me on that I mean it's uh, probably a good move for Mike good good move uh, to, to get him over you know a, a young guy with uh, a good background yeah, I think the the only takeaway for something like this is that Mike Brown got to pick a guy. You know, he was with Mike Brown in Cleveland. He was with Mike Brown with the Nigerian national team. So this is very clearly a Mike Brown hire. Um, we just got finished talking about nepotism. This was not that. So it gets, you know, all the thumbs up from me. Um, I will I will point out that uh, um, there was a, an article written about Fernandez's job uh, while he was with the Nuggets. And one of the things that they pointed out was that he was responsible in the summer for teaching uh, new players the Nuggets style of play, spacing the floor and playing through their big men on offense, along with protecting the paint and defending the three-point line on defense. And I know it's really too early to say anything, and, and, and it doesn't read much into anything too much here, but like, if the, Kings can, if the Kings are planning on playing through their big guy in the same way that Denver plays through Jokic and they're bringing a guy over who was responsible for installing those kinds of plans with with their new players i think that points to something kind of optimistic for me that like i think the best thing the kings can do is play through sabonis uh and not necessarily have the ball in fox's hand all the time but like run the ball through sabonis and so that to me is a little bit of a a, a bright spot in terms of his hiring though i may be reaching there a little bit well, I don't know. You know, I, I agree with you. I, I think that it, it says two things. I mean, uh, that that's his background. Uh, you know, that's been established. And it it's, tells me that uh, Mike Brown is thinking along those lines, which is a, a, a step ahead. You know, I mean, I think he's saying, hey, I'm going to look at the Kings and, and Sabonis. If we're going to be good, we need to find a way to play, you know, a different way. Hmm. 
maybe than he's used to coaching uh, or, or certainly the, you know, the, the Warriors play a little bit like that with Draymond, but not, not the same. So I thought, I, I think there's a reason to be encouraged. I, I definitely think that. Yeah. I like that point, Will. And I'll even say from like Sabonis's perspective, the Kings are trying to sell him on staying here. So, you know, you bring in a guy who's going to build an offense around him as the hub. That's, I don't know. That's pretty exciting. If you're Sabonis that, that the Kings brought in a coach here who has, uh, obviously a very good track record of building offenses around a big man. Okay. So we're rolling over to our anything but King segment where I give Tony and Jerry a chance to talk about another game, another team, another storyline from the sports world that they encountered over the last two weeks. The only rule is they don't get to talk about the Kings. So we've had some, uh, we had some uh, game sevens guys. We've had some other things in sports pop up in here. So uh, I'll go with Tony first. Tony, what do you, uh, what did you have over the last couple of weeks that, uh, that you want to talk about here? The Suns uh, implosion was was incredible. Uh, people have said that that was one of the most, I don't know, not definitely not best basketball games they've ever seen, but just one of the wildest game like to, to fall apart in that fashion in a game seven is something that I can't remember ever seeing. And the the domino effects, it actually kind of ties back to a, the trade conversation we talked about earlier because um, DeAndre Ayton was a big part of that collapse uh, m- uh, most notably his absence in the fourth quarter he has a contract situation coming up so you talk about king's trades i guess two points here one how quickly things can change in the nba where the suns go from like a, a darling franchise finals contender to now they may have some some major moves to make and then with the kings who now suddenly have this very valuable piece do you trade the fourth pick for Aiton? i would not but if Aiton is out there available that is a name i think the Kings should look at so um, just everything that happened around the Phoenix collapse was, was sort of on my, on my radar this week and, in, uh, including all the great, um, trash talk and memes by Patrick Beverly and, and other guys like that. So, <laughs> so shout out to the Suns for making the Kings look not so bad this week. That was a, that was one of those games that I I'd been rooting for both. I was rooting for a good series. Basically. Like I liked, I, I would have been excited to have seen the, the Suns win that series. Uh, I would have been happy to see Luka Doncic kind of pull that team all by himself to to the Western Conference Finals. And then about like one quarter into the game, I smelled a little bit of blood from the Suns and I was immediately like, kill them, crush them. <laughs> like I want, I want to, I want to see this. I want to see Luka Doncic just rip them to shreds. And I feel terrible as a fan who like, I had no problems with the Suns. They were in the gutter with us for a long time that I was suddenly on board with everybody else where I was just like, just rip them apart. And when it happened, it was like, oh, that was, that was good. That was, a, that was a tasty morsel of NBA basketball. And I really, really enjoyed the storyline of them just getting absolutely shredded. And I feel like a terrible person for that, but I feel like a good basketball fan for that too. <laughs> well, well, I, yeah, I was going to say that you guys kind of stole my thoughts. I was going to talk about that too, but there's a couple <laughs> other things that, that struck me, you know, and, that, and that, I, I was going to say it. If I live to be another 15 years, uh, I don't think I'll ever see anything that surprises me more than that game. You know, I mean, there's there's nothing. Uh, I was just sitting dumbfounded. I sat dumbfounded a lot, but I was really dumb, <laughs> dumbfounded on that. But but the, a couple of really thoughts I, I think that that uh, has struck me, I guess, is that the emergence of Jason Tatum and 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 Doncic as legitimate true true superstars. Uh, I mean, you could make the case just how much better is is Durant than than uh, Tatum I mean it's a lot that's kind of question that somebody would have called you an idiot if you'd have brought it up a year ago and I don't think you they can call you an idiot now I mean the guy probably I mean it's 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 one of those things and then Doncic certainly he's uh you know he's he's one for the ages I think we knew that but we didn't know that he could do what he's done and, and that has nothing to do with what goes forward but clearly he's moved into a stratosphere of, you know, of all-time greats, you know, potentially, you know, top 75 and all that kind of stuff. And I mean, you know, who who wouldn't take him over, I mean, as good as John Morant is or, or, or Kyrie Irving or, you know, you just go on down the line. And the other little tidbit, and, and I, I follow this kind of stuff because I, I just don't have any sense, but uh, the, the, final four, the final four teams – you know, really, they're all good defensively, which, uh, you know, Kings fans know that 
it's kind of good to, you got a chance to be good if you were good that way. But none of them, there's not a single number one or two uh, player that was drafted on any of the four teams. So if you're a Kings fan, now there's some, a lot of threes, some threes with the certainly Celtics, but, but if you're a Kings fan, you're saying, okay, you know, you, you, you damn sure don't have to have that. And of course, in Miami's case, shit, they got, I mean, they got a bunch of guys that weren't even drafted. <laughs> and in fact, a, a point guard, Vincent, who played for the Stockton Kings last year, that the Kings didn't even invite to camp. So, so, so there's that. But I mean, I, I just think it, uh, it goes to show you that development, uh, good culture, uh, good coaching, good front office, all that uh, ownership, you know, right on that. I think that's one thing you also look at those four teams. They, they have their ducks in a row. And, uh, and, and yes, they, they generally draft well, they trade well, they get free agents where it fits. I thought Brad Stevens, like at uh, Boston, I mean, uh, you know, he hired Yudoka, well, it was a great, great hire. Uh, they got Al Horford back. Nobody thought that was going to be a big deal, but it was, yeah. you know, uh, get Derek White. Where would they be without, you know, huge, huge. Yeah. And so, Anyway, so it's just interesting stuff. I, I've really enjoyed. I, I'm really enjoying the playoffs now. And you're down to the four best, and you know, I, I don't. I think all any of the four could win it all. And sadly, the Bucks without Chris Middleton just weren't the same. And and you know, and I I think you know, if any team take your second best player off for the entire series is not going to be the same. But great series. So that's about it. But uh, looking forward to it. I don't. Uh, don't know if uh, Luca and Tatum can pull their pull their lads through, and yet they could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just just because you mentioned the Bucks real quick, uh, Giannis is one of those players that every time he does something or every series that I watch him in, anytime he gets in front of a microphone, like I feel like the the NBA is safe in terms of like leadership towards the future, and like you know he he's gonna be he's gonna be a figurehead for the NBA for a long time. But he's such a unique personality. And one of those people that when he was talking about losing and, and talking to Jason Tatum and he, he's, he's so different from, from many, many other NBA players and their mindsets, but it's so refreshing to hear a guy that he took a loss and, and, you know, obviously it affected him, but it wasn't something that, you know, he didn't swear to, to get in the gym for 20 hours. You know, he, he's not Kobe Bryant. He's not LeBron James. He's not Michael Jordan. He's, he's just as dominant as those guys sometimes, but, but he just, you know, he, he lets it roll off his back because he's got a perspective on what life is outside of the NBA. And I, I, one of those things that I just, every time he gets in front of a microphone, I kind of fanboy a little bit. I'm like, damn, this guy's cool. I well, like him a lot. Well, you know, too, I, 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 that's a great point. I mean, I think the league really in great shape uh, with, you know, I mean, Luca, I think comes off well, he whines too much on the court, but I mean, he, yeah. he, you know, but that, that's a small thing, but he's a class young guy really. And how he handles things, give his teammates credit and all that sort of thing as he should. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Tatum, I mean, you're talking John Morant, nice young. I mean, the league is in yeah. such great shape. And of course, like I say, I, I honestly think that having a Jokic, your two MVP kind of guys the last few years are just, you couldn't ask for better guys and team guys and franchise guys. And, and that's just wonderful, I think. Uh, you know, I, I always say that's one of the things I, I'll always admire about uh, Seth or Steph Curry. I mean, how many great players just remain basically good guys and humble and easy to coach and easy to be teammates. And I mean, it, uh, there were years when you might find none <laughs> of, the, of the, the better players. And, uh, but uh, so yeah, leagues in, in a great spot in that, in that regard. And so if they ever get, so they call palming the ball and interrupt the dribble and get rid of the three point shot <laughs> and have them in the corner, then I'll be a lot happier. But uh, <laughs> Okay, Tony, we're going to go on over to uh, the Patreon question of the day. Great. Uh, on every episode of this podcast, we ask at least one question from our Kings Herald patrons at patreon.com slash Kings Herald. We take questions from Twitter, Patreon, the website. Um, you ask them to uh, Will or I, and we'll ask them to Jerry. And any questions that don't get answered on this podcast get answered on the Patreon Q&A. Um, that's exclusive to all patrons. We just posted one uh, recently, so go listen to that as well. But this week's question comes from the real Sean on Twitter, and they ask: um, Would drafting Ivy cause concern to Fox's production? Mm, that's a great question. 
I, I think it would have to impact it a little bit. I mean, I, I think that uh, it's one of those things that Ivy does a lot of the same kind of things that Fox does. Uh, you know, he, he is best with the ball. So it, it would be a, I think it would impact Sabonis a little bit. Uh, now, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I mean, certainly a team like the Kings uh, needs talent and Ivy's a talent, but it would, I think it would require a little more sacrifice on the part of uh, De'Aaron to make it work and maybe a little from Sabonis, uh, which is that a bad thing? No, of course not. I think all players uh, should be required and need to, to sacrifice. I think it's just a case where if, if another position was drafted, it'd be easier on, on De'Aaron, so to speak, and then maybe on Sabonis, but not necessarily better. So that's a great question. I mean, Ivy's a guy, he's good enough. You better think about him. You, you better think about him. I mean, it, well, it's like all we've been talking about. It's like, well, you you know, I don't know how good he's going to be, but I know he's probably the best guard of that type in this draft. And uh, nobody, everybody knew John Morant was going to be good. They didn't know he's going to be off the charts near great. Uh, and so and, and in today's game, you know, those guys are difference makers or can be. Yeah, I, th I think too that uh, that it, it'll affect Fox maybe in the years to come, but maybe not his rookie year. You know, it might be one of those things that we're like Davion Mitchell and with as many shooting guards as the Kings have, and they're trying to bring back Dante DiVincenzo. That it might be that he gets off the bench with with Dave. It's Davion and him running a a backcourt off of the bench, and so it, it's a good situation to be in if Jaden Ivey his first year is affecting Fox's play enough. That, that Fox is, you know, having to sacrifice some points. That means that you've got a rookie of the year candidate. You, that means that there's some level of success coming into the, coming into the season. If, if he's affecting, I don't know, did Davion Mitchell affect, affect uh, De'Aaron Fox's, his rookie year? Did, did, I mean, maybe Tyrese did a bit there, but like, I don't, I don't think it, I don't, I don't think especially as a rookie that it matters that much. I, I think also that him being as fast as he is, I, th I think that it would pick up with like Sabonis and uh, Sabonis would be throwing outlet passes all game long to basically two wide receivers. If you wanted to, you could just have them both go long towards the sidelines and, and, you know, you might get two two assists a game off of just Jaden Ivy busting his ass down the court and De'Aaron Fox stretching the defense on the other end. Uh, you know, I, I think that's one of those things that you get a little bit in the weeds there with, uh, with the worrying about, well, we shouldn't draft him because Fox's production might go down his, his first year in the league when. Yeah, I think too. I mean, I think you always got to keep in mind that it's like, well, yeah, everybody's, somebody's going to be affected. The team was a losing team. And, and what you want is a winning team. So, uh, <laughs> and so uh, just on that basis alone, yeah, guys that didn't really, you know, that were getting things their way, didn't win enough. So maybe they should have less things their way. And uh, so, and, and that's kind of where coaching comes in and, and leadership comes in. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can't, I couldn't see it being a, it shouldn't be a major problem. It'd probably be a minor problem. It would at some point you'd have to solve, you know, that's all. Yeah. It's not something that I would not draft Ivy for. I think it just says more about Fox that he has now, a little bit of a track record of not being quite as productive when there is a person in the backcourt who also needs the ball in his hand. So I think that's, that's where it, that's what it comes down to for me is this is something that Fox needs to figure out. He needs to be able to provide some value on offense when he doesn't have the ball. And to this point in his career, he hasn't really developed or shown a whole lot of offensive skill when the ball is not in his hands and for him to take that next lead that we wanted to take or for him to play with a volume player in the backcourt, he's going to have to develop something on that end where he can contribute and it doesn't kill his production to, to do something off the ball. Yeah. You know, the, the, the final thing on that is I think like with coach Brown background, especially with the, uh, the warriors, I mean, their, their ball movement is just terrific. And, and that's, and that's what you want. I mean, the Kings ball movement got better once the bonus joined the team, but it needs to get better. And that's certainly, uh, Fox is, is, is one of those guys that needs to get better without the ball, just like about everybody does. And so, and Ivy himself is not great without the ball, but he had also, it'd be a process for him, but that's called team basketball. And, and uh, you know, it's just one of those things. So I, I wouldn't, you know, here again, that's, uh, that's the process of building a team, but it's a good point. And, and I don't think there's any doubt that there would be some sacrifice would be required 
Jerry, it's now your turn for the uh, for the Reynolds wrap up. Well, I, I you know I hadn't really thought too much about it. I I, I thought uh, the would talk a little bit about Alvin Gentry. Because, uh, you know, he recently uh, took a job uh, and, and I, I have a lot of respect for Alan. I like him and know him and, you know, competent uh, NBA guy, a career lifer. And I was kind of trying to figure out, you know, what his job is. And, and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I know, uh, you know, they had to pay him anyway. He's under, you know, he's going to get paid whether he worked or not. And, and, and I know I'm a cynic and you guys know that, but now that I'm kind of a cynical, always looking for, uh, you know, the background stuff. And I was thinking, you know, it seems to me like basically he's been hired maybe not to be around and probably, uh, uh, get his travel expenses while he's looking for his next job. <laughs> that that may be it, and and and, and you know he, he's deserving of that. I mean, I got no problem with that at all. I, I don't know, you know, it was up to him if he wanted to accept something because they certainly the money would have been the money the same. Mm -hmm. So sure. so probably he wanted to stay involved and just didn't really have made a decision about uh, going back to coaching you know, probably as an assistant somewhere yet the right spot. So, uh, so I wish him well. And uh, now he's got a title. You know what the, do you know what that title is, Jerry? I have no idea. <laughs> Vice president of basketball engagement, where he'll advise the team on building strategies and player evaluation. Sounds kind of like an advisor. To yeah. Me. Well, <laughs> yeah. that's what you need. Some, a lot of advisors. And uh, so you can give them advice. And uh, I always thought when I first, yeah, I first read that, I thought, well, in charge of engagement was he going to go on the jumbotron and engage, let, help people get engaged or <laughs> <laughs> so so i don't know you know uh, hey what the heck i mean it's like now in basketball operations everybody's got you know they got so many people you can like I say i didn't know you had a director of social responsibility sure. or you know maybe you need a i think a, a, a maybe a director of assholes or something you know uh, you know <laughs> yeah. jay would you apply for that job would you uh i might I, I, <laughs> if they I, offered I, it to you, I, would I, you? I, I think uh, i think i'm developing the qualifications <laughs> <laughs> well you'll be more qualified than anjali ranadive so yeah 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 so unfortunately although i've never heard jerry sing the national anthem uh, i would assume that uh, uh I assume no do, job. you do not want that yeah you do not want that well for everyone here at the king's herald i'd like to thank you for listening to another episode we've got a uh, 36 days at the time of recording until the nba draft so we're going to have a a lot of discussion between uh, then and now on on uh, just who the kings are going to pick and just who the kings aren't going to pick and and we'll still be wrong at the end of the day but we're going to give it a, the old college try so uh for for, for jerry and for tony want to thank you again for listening to another episode and we'll uh we'll see you in two weeks and some change <laughs>